Matthew chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 35 through 38. Our compassionate Christ is the uh, title of the message. Let me tell you a story. Many years ago, I was riding alone on a train in Brussels, Belgium. Uh, That can be a little scary, being in another country by yourself in public transportation, not speaking the language, and uh, a relative number of people who can speak your language. But I'm on that uh, that, uh, train, and at one stop, we came into a station, and we sat still for several minutes. I'd say five, maybe longer, I don't know. And uh, I saw a lot of people moving around, getting on the train, getting off the train, just uh, you, you could look out. It wasn't a big city, but it was big enough. <clears throat> and you could see them waiting for the next train. And I just noticed all of the people. And sitting on a bench was a, um, were, were on two separate benches, actually, were two men. And they, the benches were near to one another, but these guys were each sitting on, on a bench, but they were side by side. And these guys could not have been any more different. On the left side, there was a, um, um, I would call him an African-American man, but that's not accurate because he uh, was not uh, American and we weren't in American. So, but it was a, it was a younger man and, and he, was, uh, he was dressed in, uh, he wore some very nice sports shoes of some kind. I don't know exactly what they were. Uh, he, um, uh, he, he, in addition to that, he, um, he was in his early twenties, um, and, and he, he wore some, he wore pants that were either long shorts or short trousers. I, I don't know which, but they, they came down past his, his knee and he had on a houndstooth checked hat that was turned backwards. Now, let me tell you, he was dressed very nice, and, and he appeared to be a very nice young man. I'm just I'm <clears throat> setting the picture for you uh, of him, because sitting on the bench right next to him was, uh, this, this guy was dressed very neatly, but he was clearly from a different generation than the man that was sitting on uh, beside him. Beside him was a, a white man, a white guy, and this guy was in his 50s. Um, this guy was overweight. Um, he, uh, he sat there and, and, uh, <clears throat> he was wearing, uh, some kind of safety goggle glasses, but they were, must've been some kind of prescription because he still, uh, had them on. <clears throat> he had his arms folded across his belly and his arms were resting, uh, on his <clears throat> belly. And, uh, he clearly had been at work. Uh, there was a, uh, a lunch pail and, and all of those kinds of things. And, and both of these guys probably were coming from work. Maybe one was going to work. He wasn't preoccupied with the guy at the other bench, but he did look over a time or two. He, he looked over there and <clears throat> I just noticed how, how different the two were. And, and just to, to finish the picture for you, uh, the guy with the lunch pail and the big belly, uh, lit up a cigarette. And so I'm <clears throat> looking out and seeing uh, these, these two guys. Now, as I looked at them, here's what I wondered. I wondered about their story. I wondered, you know, <clears throat> if I could get into their lives 
and talk to them in their language, I wonder what their story would be. I wonder who they are. I wonder what's going on <clears throat> with, with them. Now, these guys, neither of them were pitiful, and they were both, you know, normal guys, just from different generations and, and you know, with a, <clears throat> a different sense of style and so on. But they were different guys. And, and I had a moment of compassion for them. I remember sitting in that train, looking out that window at those two guys, that, that I got tears in my eyes. I had a moment of compassion. Now, here's what I think. I think for just a moment, the Lord Jesus visited my heart and said, look at those two guys the way that I see everybody. Look at those two men <clears throat> the way that I see the world. Here's what I mean. In Matthew 9, 35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The book of Matthew is a bridge book. It's a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is a book of, of details about the, the credentials, the ministry, and the miracles of Jesus Christ. In chapter 9, Jesus performs six miracles, beginning with the healing of a man uh, with palsy. He raised a, a young girl from the dead, and he cured a woman with a blood disease who simply touched the hem of his garment. <clears throat> after Jesus does two miracles, this, after D Jesus does this, there's two miracles at once as he touches two blind men and gives them back their sight. And verse 32 through 34, Jesus cast out demons from a man who could not speak. And then we come to our text. And in the text, we see a compassion. We see what motivated him to do all the things that he had done. And it was a sincere, it was a genuine compassion. To that end, let's begin by looking at his compassionate work. We call reaching the world for Jesus the message of evangelism. We call that evangelism. I went to the barber shop this week, and, and uh, I go to Tony's barber shop, and my uh, Tony's son, Anthony, cuts my hair. Tony's is the dad who owns the shop, and, and uh, Tony is a, a real character. And uh, Tony said, Anthony looked at me, and he says, well, it's, it's not too much longer. And I said, well, the end of May. And Tony's always got something to say. And uh, Tony said, uh, yeah, he's going to go into evangelism. He's going to be an evangelist. I said, that's right. And I'm going to set up a tent right out in front of your place. And I'm going to preach about all the hell that goes on right here in this barber shop. And <clears throat> Tony got tickled. 
But evangelism is a very real work. It's a very good work. Here's what Jesus said about evangelism. In John 9, 4, we must work the works of him who sent me uh, while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. The work of evangelism has an ending to it, and it ends when eternity begins. This is the compelling reason that we must continue the work of the harvest while there's light. Jesus knew the importance of doing all that we can while we can. I know a a young man, he's a college student in town. His name is Jordan Griffin. And Jordan is the son of Patricia Griffin, who is uh, with Tallahassee State Bank. And uh, Patricia and, and Jan and I were very good friends. And, and Patricia's mother died. This is Jordan's grandmother. And Jordan had a part in the funeral service, in the memorial service. And his part in the memorial service had a theme. And it was a theme based on what his grandmother had always told him. And he stood up and very, very gifted for his age. He stood up and he said, do all you can while you can. And then from there, he moved on and talked about his grandmother and talked about our own lives and talked about doing all that we can while we can. You know, that's exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, we have to work while it is light because there's a time when the light's going out and we're not going to be able to work. Here's what we should do in this compassionate work of Christ. Here is, here is how we should do all that we can while we can. First of all, we should do all that we can while we can in every place possible. There's no place where we shouldn't be doing all we can while we can. The Bible says in our text that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. Now, if anyone could have waited for people to come to them or come to him, it would have been Jesus. Jesus could have hung out, a, he could open a shop, hung out a shingle, and said, life's changed here, come and get it. And he could have simply sat there, had regular hours, and if people wanted to have their lives changed, they could have come by. But that's not what he did. The Bible says that he went throughout all of the cities and villages. That's the will of God. That's how we're supposed to do the work of God. That's how we do all we can while we can, is we get out into every place possible. That's just the work of God. Here's what Jesus said in Luke 14, 21, in a parable, he said, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be full. God knows that those who are not seated at the table, at the end of this life, have no part in eternity with him. God wants us to continue to work in every place possible because there are seats still available at the table. The two men at the train stop in Belgium, 
those two men in Belgium have just as much need or had just as much need of the gospel as anybody in your family. I'm amazed at how limited we are in our concern for others. In fact, I think our society is going that way. People can literally step past uh, folks dying on the streets these days. And if they can do that, they certainly can forget about the, the lost and dying in the, in the world. To do all that we can while we can is to, is to do so in every place possible and realize that there are people who have lots of people who we will never see who have a need for Jesus Christ. And there are people who we see and don't really know who have a need for Jesus Christ. And the compassion of Christ says in every place possible do this work. And here's what else that compassion says. It's one clear message. Matthew 9, 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. There's a kingdom of gospel and there is a gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is that God so loved the world not just the world that we see, but all the world so that they would be saved. That's the one clear message. We have complicated things. We've complicated things in God's work because we have a mentality that says, I'm looking for a particular thing. I'm looking for a particular theme. And so we have complicated things. Jesus said, I I want you to go with one clear message. In fact, we talk about preachers sometimes and pastors who are always on the theme of evangelism. We use the word shallow sometimes. We say, well, they just, it's kind of shallow. The only thing they ever preach about is, is evangelism. The only thing they ever talk about is people getting saved. That's all. Well, I want to tell you, that's the one clear message. 1 Corinthians 5, 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, skipping to verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. The clear message of Christ, spoken, shared, and preached in every place, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, well, I don't really know how to talk to other people. I don't just, I don't really know my Bible. Well, I I would like for you to know your Bible better, and I hope you'll try to know your Bible more, and you should go to Bible study and come on Wednesday night and involve yourself in Bible study and read it more and more. But could I tell you this? If you understand the one clear message of the gospel, you know enough to do God's work. You say, well, I'm not sure that I know how to present it. Do you know what happened to you? Do you know how your life was changed? If you know what happened to you and you know how your life was changed, then you can present the one clear message of the gospel. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Find some version of that and share it with people that you know. If we're going to do all we can while we can, 
We've got to do so in every place possible. And we've got to do so with one clear message. And could I tell you, it will produce powerful results. Matthew 9, 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. The gospel of Jesus Christ is his compassionate work. Why did Jesus come of a virgin, be be born of a virgin, and and live a sinless life and die on the cross? He, He did not do that so that that we might uh, factionalize and, and be fractioned over this, that, or the other. He did that to complete the work of the gospel, the work of redemption. That's the reason. His compassionate work. Let's talk about his compassionate compulsion. There's a story about Abraham Lincoln that he went to a slave market and was moved with compassion to place a bid on a young slave girl there. And he won the bid, and he walked away with his property. And there was a sullen, angry expression on this slave girl's face as they walked away. Lincoln said to the girl, you're free She said, what does that mean? Well, it means that you're free. Well, does that mean that I can be what I want to be? Yes, you can be what you want to be. You are free. Does that mean that I can say what I want to say? The slave girl asked. Well, yes, you can say whatever you want to say. You are free. Does that mean that I can go wherever I want to go? Absolutely, Lincoln was reported to have said. You can go anywhere you want to go. She said, then I want to stay with you. I don't know if that story is true. But it gives us a wonderful illustration of what it means to be compelled to be moved, to be driven by something. She was compelled by the gratitude that she had for her new freedom and who had given her this freedom. She was compelled, and so she continued in service with the one who had set her, set her free. What does it mean to you to be compelled? Are you compelled about anything? Are you compelled? I know some of you, And if I start a conversation with you of any kind, it will not go too far until you go to some compelling interest in your life, until you make a statement about this compelling interest or that compelling interest or or whatever it may be. And you can't help yourself. You, You can't help yourself because you're compelled. This is what you talk about all the time. Those of us who are grandparents, we're often compelled by our grandchildren. I find that I have to fight it back, usually unsuccessfully, but I have to fight it back when talking to somebody because I want to tell them about my grandchildren. We had a baseball coach come in here the other day for a 
<clears throat> an interview. He was uh, uh, going to help Mike Posey in baseball. And, and such a fine young man. He's going to be a hitting coach. Oh, oh man. The first, as soon as he said that, I thought, boy, he's got to see this, this video of Bradford hitting the baseball. <laughs> he has got to see this. And, and I, I said, I said, you, you got you, you to see this. And, and I started looking. No, no, you've really got to see this. And I said, and, and, and I'm, I'm telling you that, look, I'm retiring in May, but, but I'm still the, the pastor and the president of the school, and you've got to see this. I couldn't find it. Oh, it worried me. It concerned me. I was compelled to show him that video of Bradford. And I will find that. And I will go to the baseball field and I will pull him off the field in the middle of a game. This is what I was talking about in my office the other day. What does it mean to be compelled? What compels you? Well, to be compelled means obligated. Jesus was compelled. He was obligated by his compassion. We can't know the mind of Christ. However, we can read what the text shows us about the compulsion, the compassionate compulsion of Jesus Christ. First of all, he says, there are so many, just so many. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. Most of us can be moved by compassion. I was moved that day in, in Belgium, sitting on a train, looking at two guys sitting on two benches waiting for another train. You can be moved. Some people are moved by compassion for other people. Some people are moved by a compassion for children or for teenagers or for older people. You're moved by compassion. You're compelled. You feel obligated. You're moved by compassion. Whatever it may be that moves your heart by compassion, remember, God, Jesus Christ, has already been moved by them. You, you, you find someone for whom or some group of people for whom you have a great deal of passion and you say, God needs to reach them. God already has compassion for them. You got the compassion that God gave to you. Now there's something you must do with it. He's looking for you. He wants you to share his compassion. He wants you to share his interest. He wants you to share his sense of obligation. How obligated is God? Well, he so loved the world that he gave. God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's got all of the compassion of the universe. He is the author of compassion. He is the epitome of compassion. He is the picture, the definition of compassion. And when you have compassion, when you have that compassion of Christ, he is opening your heart to have the same compassion that he has. Do something with it. Do something with that compassion. There is a reason that you have that compassion. He had compassion because he said, they are so weak. There's so many and they're so weak. Again, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion because they were harassed and helpless. 
Can't you see the picture? People who are just weary with life, just tired of it, just tired of life. Whatever they're depending on to give them joy and fulfillment is gone. It's just not working anymore. They need compassion. They need somebody to care about them. They need for somebody to understand the compassion that Jesus has for them and to take his compassion into their own hearts and give it to that person that is so weak. These people that Jesus saw were weak. They were weary. What is the answer for the weak? What is the answer for the weary? Well, here's what Jesus said. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus was compelled with compassion because there were so many who were so weak, and he said, they are so lost. Again, the whole verse When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you know somebody like that? Do you know somebody who is so lost? Just lost. I'll give you a a frame of reference for it. Think about Norma Stafford today. Think about Norma. Norma has no living children. Now she has no husband. I think that Norma must have woken up this morning feeling lost. Not lost and away from Christ, but just lost. What am I going to do? How can I navigate this? I called Norma on Thursday. She answered her phone and she was sitting at the doctor's office. Her friends down there had insisted that she go see the doctor. And knowing Norma, I I understand that. I totally understand that. And she answered the phone. And I said, Norma, she said, Pastor Ray, Well, I'm so sorry about Ed. I said, Norma, I am so sad for your loss. I don't know what to do, Pastor Ray. I'm just so helpless. I don't know what to do. My friends brought me to the doctor. They felt I needed to see the doctor. I said, well, that's probably a good idea. I said, Norma, a couple of things. First of all, Ed went the best, the way that everybody wants to go in his sleep. And she said, yes, he did. And I said, he is not only with Jesus, but he is with Eric. And she said, I want to be there too. You know what I said to her? I said, now, Norma, you've got to wait your turn. 
It was Ed's turn. First it was Eric's turn, then it was Ed's turn. Now you wait for your turn. But she felt, sounded so lost. Who do you know like that? There's a family member that you have who is just so lost right now. I have a nephew who is about my age. He's just almost a year younger than me, nine months younger than me. You remember I'm the last of a very large family, so I have a nephew almost my age. My nephew is gay. He's never been married. And now he has cancer ravaging his body. We have not been close in years. But I picked up the phone the other day and I called him just to talk to him because he was so lost. Who do you know that's lost? Who do you know that that's, they're just without any sense of direction right now for whatever reason it may be? Who do you know? Well, the compassionate compulsion of Christ should be yours. And so what do you do? What do you do with that, that understanding that <clears throat> there's someone that <clears throat> is lost? They are so weak and they're so lost. What do you do with that? Well, that's the last part, his compassionate insight. In our text, <clears throat> then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Take those people <clears throat> that you know, that you thought about while I was speaking just a moment ago, and multiply them exponentially. This is what God sees every day. He sees the people that you love, and he has more con- concern for them than you have for them. His concern went to the cross. Surely our concern can speak a word. He sees the people of of those missionaries that are supported by this church. And, And let me say this. When I'm no longer your pastor, there are still going to be missionaries in other parts of the world who are depending on your faithful giving to support them in the work that they are doing of reaching those who are weak and lost. They are going to continue to have that that need. They're going to continue to have that calling. and, And you, as a church family, will continue to be a part of that. Because God sees that need. And God is meeting that need for those lost people. His compassion comes through you. The people in Romania are a part of his compassionate call 
and the people in Argentina and Thailand and Kenya and South Africa and New Zealand and Costa Rica and Brazil and, and all of the other countries and the countries for which our church or with which our church is not even connected by a missionary. God has a compassion for all of those. We must be part of his compassion. I don't know that I've told you this, but one of the things that Jan and I will be doing after we retire is we will be going to these mission fields and connecting with our missionaries or missionaries that we know and love and missionaries that you know and love and others, and we will be doing work with those missionaries. We'll be speaking to those people. We'll be trying to help them reach those people. And as odd as it may seem, and this really seems odd because, you know, we have a hard time drawing a crowd in the, in the States. But as, as odd as it may seem, when a, when a guy from America comes, goes to a place like South Africa, they come out of the woodwork to see this guy and to hear him speak, even though he has to speak and then an interpreter speaks, it is a special event for them. And we will be going. And the reason that we will be going and doing that is because our call, that isn't all that we're going to do, but it's because our calling doesn't end and his compassion doesn't cease. And so there will still be those people I know all of you aren't on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. And I don't, I don't have a huge number of friends, but I got a lot, about maybe 1,300 or so. You know, about a third of them, I can't even speak their language. But they have connected with me in this country and that country. And I got, I've got one little girl in, in a village in Romania who likes everything that I put down. Everything. Every picture that I put up, everything. She likes, she's the first one to like it. She must live on Facebook. She's a a sweet little girl. Some of you met her. Uh, I I said, this is my Facebook friend. You remember when we were at lunch and I said, this is my Facebook friend. Uh, Rebecca Petrikow is her name. But those, those people, the Lord already has a compassion This is his reality, and it should be ours. God has given this harvest to you, and he's given it to me. It is our responsibility. It's no one else's. Here's his compassionate insight, and with this, we will bring it to a close. First of all, well, actually, I have one more point, but it's not big. The harvest is ready. I'm not a farmer. Best farmer I ever knew was Sheldon Wynn. But I'm not a farmer, but here's what I do know. When the crop is ready, it will not wait. When the crop is ready, you got to get it because it is not going to wait. It either, it's either harvested or it spoils and cannot be harvested. You don't get a second chance to pick, to gather, to dig. You just don't. You, you must harvest when the crop tells you it's time to harvest. When the harvest is ready, we have only one choice. Gather the harvest or lose it. Twenty-year-old girl killed in an automobile accident over the past week here in Tallahassee. 
Not sure what her spiritual status was, but I will tell you this, that part of the harvest is now lost. If she was not saved and we were supposed to reach her, that part of the harvest is now lost. The harvest is ready, and the work is suffering. Why is the work suffering? Well, the work is suffering, Jesus said, because uh, we, the, the laborers are few. There's just not enough laborers. You've heard of the, how many of you have heard of the 80-20 rule? Would you raise your hand? You've heard of the 80-20 rule. Here's the 80-20 rule, and it's universal. It does, doesn't just apply to church. It's universal. Here's the 80-20 rule. 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. Now, that's true everywhere. It may change here, there, and yon, but it's, it's true everywhere. In the Christian world, that 20% of the church does 80% of the work of the church. Now, why is it true? It's true because we do not see what God sees in the compassionate way that he sees it. In most cases, we don't want to see it. And, and I'm going to mention one more thing. The, the same thing that, that keeps people from going into the, the fields of harvest also keeps people from giving to the work of God. And this isn't a message about giving, but I've got to tell you that, that I have been, I've been a pastor now since 1973. That's a long time. What is that, 43 years? 43 years now I've been a pastor. For 43 years. And could I say this to you? With little exception, 20% of the people have done 80% of the giving for all 43 years in every church that I've known anything about. You say, well, then that's kind of normal. That's what we ought to do. No, that's not what we ought to do. I, I will say this, that if it's changing, it's trending downward, that it's more like 15% of the people are giving 85%. And, and, and the problem isn't in, in the fields is not the lack of dollars or the lack of workers. It's the lack of faith. It's the lack of vision. It's the lack of compassion. Do you see, do y'all see the, the commercials uh, for St. Jude's Children's Hospital in Memphis? Do y'all see those on television? <laughs> those kids, man. Wow. That one little kid that writes uh, his name with his, with his feet and he looks up with that bright little smile and he says, I can write my name. <laughs> oh, man, I just want to throw money through the TV set all the way to St. Jude's. I can write my name. And then that one little kid says, if you just give so much a month, you get this adorable blanket. Ah, forget the adorable blanket. We want you to come and visit us. You're the one who's adorable. You know, they move us with compassion. I guess we could do that. I guess maybe we should. I guess we ought to do more of that, maybe. We, we, here's what I've noticed about our church. Our church can be moved and, and, and again, it's a holiday, and I'm, I'm not being unkind to you. It's just the truth. Our church can be moved to do anything one time. I mean, we are, 
you talk about one-hit wonders, we can flat do anything one time. There's nothing that, that we've ever been called on to do one time that we didn't do successfully. But time number two, and number three, well, until eventually it's like pulling teeth and it falls back to the 2080 rule. Look, Christ would have us to share his compassion, not 20% of us, but all of us to share his compassion. And so he gives this compassionate call in verse 38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. What can prayer change as it relates to the world's need and the message of Christ? Well, someone said that the value of prayer is not that he'll hear us, but that we'll finally hear him. That's a good thought, but here's the the real benefit of prayer. James 5, 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Billy Graham said, heaven is full of answers to prayers for which no one ever bothered to ask. Each of us must see the work of getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. We must see it as a personal assignment. We must see it as our personal duty. Many of us have been saved for so long that we've become accustomed to being a Christian. We've gotten used to Jesus. We've gotten used to... We've kind of become like Scrooge. Have they no debt as prisons? We've kind of gotten used to that. We're the saved, they're the lost. We love it, they don't, so what? (laughs) Right? I mean, is that not the way that it is? And you know what's happened? The so what aspect is people are dying and going to hell. Why? Not because of a lack of compassion of Christ, but because when he moved us with compassion, we pushed back. Let us be moved with the compassion of our Savior, Jesus Christ.